Just Dine Podcast. This is your host, Justin Dora. And today, I want to address a subject that maybe at first glance is going to sound super offensive, and you may think I'm crazy, but that's okay. And it's a subject that we've addressed before on the podcast, but I want to hit it again, mainly in light of some recent conversations I've had with different friends in different parts of the country, we're talking about this idea and unpacking an idea that, again, as soon as I say what it is, uh, you may initially think I have lost my marbles, and that's okay. But it's this idea of, as believers, why do we fear sin? What are we afraid of? And you know, at first glance, it sounds like a no-brainer. Why in the world would we not fear sin? My goodness, sin destroys families. It, it messes up relationships. It messes up people's lives. Decisions to harm others. Decisions to harm ourselves. Decisions to not listen to the Spirit of God and, and do the very thing that He has called us to do. You're crazy. Why would you even? Why is that even a question? Uh, at times I've had people maybe not say it that directly, but give me a look that says it all. <laughs> and and I actually want to say fearing sin is the craziest thing I've ever heard in the light of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. And um, what we're going to do for this episode is we're going to just unpack some scripture uh, that's going to hit it squarely on the head with a two by four. And my hope is at the end, you will at least have some biblical framework or a biblical foundation to really explore that question with God and come to your own conclusions. At the end of the day, you don't have to believe it because I said it, but I will challenge uh, you to, to ask the question because um, it's fascinating. I was asking somebody this the other day. Uh, do we know what Jesus actually came to save us from? What do the scriptures actually say that he came to save us from? Uh, most people would say, I would guess, that he came to save us from hell. And I'm not disagreeing with that statement, but there's, and there may be uh, scriptures that I'm not thinking of or aware of that maybe say that. But I, uh, those aren't the scriptures I keep running across. The scriptures I keep running across in the Gospels, when it's saying what Jesus came to save us from, it says that he came to save his people from sin. So if Jesus came to save us from sin, then what is salvation? Salvation must mean freedom from sin. Not freedom to sin, but freedom from sin where we recognize what he accomplished, what he put to death, what he nailed to the tree, what he uh, crucified in me, in himself, that I was included in his death. When I awaken to that, when I realize that, then you know what? To fear sin is to live in unbelief that what Jesus did wasn't enough. That somehow I have to help him out. And guys, let me just say it bluntly. That is arrogant. It is prideful to think that somehow you can improve upon what Jesus has done. 
And it's crazy because we, there is a whole industry of, of books out there written by believers trying to motivate people to live holy, trying to motivate people to not do certain things, or trying to motivate people to look more like Jesus. And we don't anchor it in the finished work of Christ. We don't anchor it in that they're dead to sin and alive to God. We don't anchor it in that who they are now is wired to obey the living God. It is our joy. It is our nature. It is our normal to live from that place. They anchor it in what you're not and they anchor it in behavior modification. And I'm telling you, it doesn't work. It doesn't last. It will never be fruit that will remain. Because it is anchored in self. It is anchored in you pulling something off. It is anchored in your power to please God. It is not anchored in what Christ accomplished. And therefore faith, which is what pleases God. And faith comes from hearing the message of Christ. When you know that it is done. When you know that he's accomplished it. Then faith rises in your heart. And Romans 1 says that out of faith comes obedience. And Jesus said, teach them to obey all I've commanded. To really learn to obey God, you got to know what God in Christ finished. You got to know what he accomplished. You've got to be baptized in the Father, Son, and Spirit. That doesn't just mean dunking in water. The word baptism means to be immersed. We got to be immersed. We got to let our senses be baptized into the relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We got to realize that we have been woven in to the divine life in Christ. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form in Christ, and you have been given fullness. What does that mean? That means in Christ, the fullness of Father, Son, and Spirit. And because you're included in Him, guess what? You are woven into the Trinity. You are participating in the divine life now. Expect that. Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? This is not a shame statement. This is not Paul saying, how can you keep doing this? He's saying, you idiot. How? You're dead to this thing. You are absolutely 100% dead. You can't live in it any longer. Guys, think about... As a prophetic picture, think about the children of Israel crossing through the Red Sea, the blood of Christ, into the wilderness, going into the promised land. What happened when they came through the Red Sea? Egypt, the ruling power of Egypt, the army, Pharaoh, his men, they, they ran after the children of Israel. And what happened? The Red Sea swallowed them up. Do you realize that when the children of Israel wanted to go back to Egypt... When they were in the wilderness, they had come to the Red Sea, and they're complaining, and they want to go back to Egypt. Do you realize Egypt didn't exist as they knew it any longer? Egypt was dead. And, and people make this statement, well, you know, it took, it took God, uh, you know, a few days to get the children of Israel out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of the children of Israel. 
And to a degree that's true in the sense of their thinking. But the reality is he dealt with Egypt in one fell swoop. Just like in Christ, he dealt with sin in one fell swoop. And the problem is we are so committed to what we feel as truth that when we feel a sinful thought or desire, we believe that's who we are. Therefore, we continue to struggle and strive and strain to get out of sin. And Jesus crucified it, killed it, done, dead. And when we will allow the Holy Spirit to expand that truth in our hearts, you know what? Sin has no draw. Sin has no pull. It's like Jesus said, the devil is coming for me, but he's found no place in me. If you're in Christ, the same is true for you. He's found no place in you because you are in a person who has defeated sin. That's why it says of the devil, he roamed like a roaring lion, not like a biting lion and not like an eating lion. He has no teeth. He cannot do anything but talk. And if you listen, it will create havoc in your life for sure, but not because it's who you are, but because you've been deceived and you've believed a lie. And now you've let a lie define who you are instead of the life of Christ. You've let a lie take the place of his life. Food for thought. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Not a life 2.0, but a new life, a whole new kind of life. Not a repeat of the old life, but a brand new life that has no reference point to sin, has no reference point to the spirit of the world, has no reference point to the systems of the world. Why do you think it doesn't work? Why do you think it produces anxiety? Why do you think it, it produces uh, uh, death and pain in you to try to take the life of Jesus and just lay it on top of the system of the world and try to live life in the world just like the world? I'm not talking about sin. I am talking about performance. The pattern of the world is performance. It is not sin. And when we live from the pattern of the world, we will get the result of the world, which is sin. Sin is a result. It is a result. It is not a rootstock. If we have been united like uh, with him like this in his death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was, past tense, crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer, no longer, not one day, but now, be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Anyone who has died has been freed from sin. You were in Christ. You are dead to the, the wrong thing and alive to the right thing. Galatians 5.24 says, Those who belong to Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its desires and its lusts. It doesn't say will. It doesn't say daily. It doesn't say it's up to you. It says have, past tense. How do we do that? We'll read Galatians in context. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been 
crucify with Christ and I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And it actually isn't the faith in the Son of God. Most theologians will say today that the best translation is the faith of the Son of God. It's his Faith, it's a gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't get it. He gave it to you as a gift. He is faith. When you awaken to that, faith is normal. Trust is normal. So let me be clear. I am not advocating for a life of sin. I am not saying, let's just ignore it. No big deal. Sweep it under the rug. Let people destroy their lives. I am saying when we see it in people's lives, we confront not sin like like what's wrong with you, but hey, you're believing and trusting the wrong source. That's not you anymore. Therefore, you can stop. Therefore, you don't have to live another sinful day in your life. You don't end if as it says in 1 John 2, if you do sin, you have an advocate. It doesn't say when you sin. It says if you sin because you don't have to. Why? Because you're not a sinner. And I would even go as far as to say that if you do, it's because you're believing and listening to the wrong person. Boom. Here's the deal, guys. I'm going to say something that might offend you. When we talk about sin all the time, you know what we actually do? We worship sin. We worship it. We build our whole lives to not do it. Therefore, we live with a consciousness and awareness of sin, and we end up worshiping the very thing that we say we don't like, and then we wonder why we do it over and over and over again. And it may not be external. It may just be internal desires. We wonder why we're drawn by different things that we know aren't right, and it's because we build our whole lives around the negative. Guys, when you watch a sports team that's playing a sport and you hear the announcers, let, let's say they're playing someone they, they should lose to, and they're winning, and you get to the last quarter of the game, and the announcers start noticing the team's getting tight. They're playing not to lose, and they end up losing. That's, how, that's what we do all the time. We play not to lose. So therefore, we live from a defensive posture. We, we live as if we're on defense, as if the devil's really powerful and we're really insecure. And now we allow the enemy to wreak havoc on us and the people that we have influence over because we propagate a lie that is not true. And, and God is saying, in Christ, it is done. Now we live from it is done. It is finished doesn't mean doesn't mean there's no life to live. There's no relationship with God. There's no hearing his voice. There's no by joy responding to the things he leads in. All those things are part of it, but it's from a different posture. And it's not a posture we put ourselves into. It's a posture we awaken to the reality that Christ put us into. And we start living from who we really are. To live below our life in Christ is, is to downgrade what he's done. It's not arrogance. It's arrogance to think you need to add to what he's done. Colossians 2 says the, the sinful nature 
has been circumcised away. It's been cut away. We do not need to define our life based on what we didn't do, based on what we couldn't do, based on what we keep doing that's wrong. We need to define our life based on what Christ did and who he is. The scripture says in 1 John, as he is, so are we. Are we, not will be, but are we. We are now. We are as he is. Not as he was, but as he is. His living, his breathing, his coming, his his bringing his kingdom. We live in that place. Uh, In him we live and move and have our being. We don't need to build our whole lives around struggle. We need to build, we need to realize Jesus already built us around power, around purpose, around joy, around freedom, around fruitfulness, around the anointing that develops and brings victory. Guess here's the deal. (laughs) There's not a battle. Oh, we've been told there's a battle. We're just in a struggle. We're in a war. No, you're not. The war's over. That's the good news. Now, if I don't believe the war's over, oh, you better believe there's a battle. Oh, you better believe there's a struggle. And even if I believe the war is over, the enemy can work really hard to get me to not believe that. Cause circumstances, cause challenges, cause all this stuff. And if I go with my circumstance that I am swept, I am tossed back and forth, insecure as the day is long. But even if my circumstances are in contradiction to the truth, I can be anchored in the reality that it's finished, that it's over, that it's done. And I can live from that place. And you know what will happen eventually? My circumstance will come under the authority and the rule and reign of Christ. Boom. And if we don't know who we are, you better believe we got a battle on our hands. But Jesus never struggled with that. Guys, Jesus would have people try to kill him and he'd walk right through the crowd. They wouldn't touch him. He said, my time's not come. Like, you can't touch me. He said, nobody takes my life, but I give it up freely. (laughs) He was not under subjection of the enemy. He freely offered his life to rescue humanity. And here's the deal, guys. When we know who we are, we recognize the schemes of the enemy. We can see them a mile away. And we know, okay, I'm just going to get focused on who God is in me by the grace of God. It's not, a, it's not a, an effort-driven thing. It's a revelation-empowered thing. It's a, it's a presence-empowered thing. I just get more and more aware of his presence. I'm drinking in his life. John 7 says that uh, anyone who's thirsty can come to him, and when we believe, rivers of living water begin to flow from us. Believe. Simply believe. You are who God says you are. He is who he says he is. And all things are possible for them who believe. So Father, I thank you for your presence, your power, your wisdom, your 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 might. I thank you for your influence. I thank you for revelation. I thank you for an increase of the awareness of your presence. I thank you for an acceleration of of the tr- of transformed living. God, I thank you that we are change agents. I thank you that even in our homes, God, we're releasing the kingdom of God over our neighborhoods, over our neighbors, in our workplaces. God, we're releasing it over our our co-workers, when we go out and have fun, God, God, we're just shifting atmospheres everywhere we go. The kingdom is expanding in the name of Jesus.
we agree. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Wisdom Podcast. If you like what you heard, leave us a review on iTunes, and iTunes will suggest this podcast to others. Thanks, everyone, and take care. Mm-hmm.